Hello, and welcome to the Spoonie Authors Podcast, a podcast that explores different disabled authors' stories each week. I am your host, Diana Gunn, and joining us today is Carol Ruth Silverstein. Carol Ruth Silverstein writes all genres of children's literature and screenplays. She currently serves on the board of the SCBWI Los Angeles and is a member of the Writers Guild of America West. Her debut YA novel, Cursed, was published in June of 2019 by Charles Bridge Teen and has won the Schneider Award as of 2020. Hello, Carol. Hi, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm very excited to chat with you and to learn more about your work. Let's start uh, with you telling us a bit about your novel, Cursed. Sure. Um, the sort of really quick and short way to, that I describe the book is that it's about 14-year-old um, Ricky Bloom, who's newly diagnosed with a painful chronic illness and seriously pissed off about it. Um, <laughs> th that, that sort of gives you the, the general feel of the book. Um, and what's been happening when the book starts is that she's been cutting weeks of school. Um, she tried to go to this school near her father's house, which her parents um, decided would be easier for her, but it was really painful getting there and there were bullies and mean girls and it was just miserable. Um, and she realized that her dad left for his office before she needed to leave for school. So she's been sort of going through this charade of pretending to get ready for school. And then when he leaves, just going back to bed and, you know, resting her body and dreaming about the boy Julio she's got a crush on in school and, and just sort of taking hot baths and pretending it's all not happening to her. Um, and early on in the story, her truancy is discovered and she's forced to go back to this miserable school and try to catch up all the work that she missed um, so that she can graduate ninth grade, you know, which is like a horror worse than death, um, to, <laughs> the idea of having to repeat ninth grade. Um, and she has a particular teacher. Most of her teachers are pretty nice, but one teacher just seems dead set of making her life even more miserable than it is. And he needs to meet with her after school three days a week. And the best she can hope for is a D. And she just becomes determined to prove him wrong. So the book is really her journal journey of uh, going back to school, trying to um, make sure that she passes ninth grade. And it's also a story about uh, moving toward acceptance of, of um, being chronically ill, having a, a painful chronic illness for which there's no cure, and who she's going to be, um, this new version of herself, who she's going to be and how she's going to have a big, beautiful life despite this. Wow. That all sounds amazing. And let me just say that three days a week after school sounds awful. Mm. <laughs> um, I definitely identify a, a lot with her because I had a pretty terrible experience at my first high school and actually ended up going to three different high schools. But that's a different story. <laughs> Um, so what was the most exciting part of working on this book? Well, 
I, you know, I, I have to say that working with my editor was was really exciting. Um, first, it was exciting because someone at a at a publisher said, "Yes, we like this. We think this is a good book that we want to put on shelves with our name on it, and we think it can sell, and we can we think it can find an audience." Um, I wasn't sure that was ever going to be the case, so that was really exciting. And I love revising. I hate first drafts, um, so revising is just a, a pleasure for me. You know, give me a big juicy editorial letter and let me dig in and try to check off all the all the to-do list items um, and get that the prose as tight and singing as it can. So I I was, you know, a little afraid as a first-time author, what is it gonna be like? Am I gonna meet deadlines and and stuff like that? But I really did enjoy the back and forth with my editor. Um, I warned her that I was like a big revision crazy person. And in <laughs> fact, we, we did, I did one really major overhaul and then several smaller uh, draft revisions. And then after it went to proofreading, so it'd been to copy editing, it'd been to the beta readers, it was proofreading. She said, okay, last call for changes. And I was like, okay. And I went through it and I sent her a 10 page single space word document of slight changes that I wanted. And I was like, oh my God, she's gonna kill me. Um, but she was such a trooper. My editor is Monica Perez at, at Charles Bichteen. And we just went through it and we, she, you know, accepted every change I wanted, except for when there was issues with like formatting. I learned the terms uh, widows and orphans. So when you're laying out a book on the page, um, sometimes a paragraph ends with one, uh, one word and they wanna kind of get rid of sort of that uneven spacing. So there were some places where uh, the proofreader, they had changed something slightly to make it look better on the page and I wasn't crazy about uh, what they changed it to so I would propose something different. Um, and she would take that unless it would mess up the formatting again. And, and so there was a little bit of, well, that won't work, how about this? You know, And she really worked with me to get it, um, get as many of the fixes as I wanted in there. And it was really just about smoothing out little things. Um, and I was so appreciative of her willingness to, to you know, uh, allow for my ridiculous uh, revising. She was really great. It was a great experience. So that was really fun. Um, and and working on the book flap material, I had a, a big hand in that. As she said, we're open to ideas. And I was like, how about this? Um, and getting to see the cover art and stuff like that. That was that that was all really really exciting. That's amazing. I I'm so glad it sounds like you had a really phenomenal experience with your editor and you know I've definitely heard some stories some horror stories specifically out of traditional publishing so yeah. I know that's not always the case but it sounds like you got really really lucky I did get lucky and you know, I'm with a smaller imprint. Um, so one of the downsides is there's less money for marketing. I didn't have a dedicated publicist. I had to, you know, do as much as I could uh, to market the book uh, by myself. Um, but on the other hand, a smaller publisher, I think the editor is more hands-on and, you know, they only choose a few books. So they're really passionate about the books. So I think um, everyone at Charles Bridge was as passionate about making my book the best it could be and having it be as successful as possible uh, as, as possible because they didn't have a slate of 20 books coming out that year. Yeah, 
I would definitely say that in my experience working with small presses, uh, I've worked with two different small presses. It's been very phenomenal. The teams are very close-knit and really, really deeply passionate about the books that they choose. Yeah. All right. So moving on, um, you focus primarily on literature and content for kids on young adult stuff, middle grade stuff. And uh, you said you've even written some picture books. I have. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about this picture book thing. Um, Well, I, I really, I love writing picture books and I would love to sell one. And my agent and I are going out on submission um, with a, with a picture book this year. And we had been on submission with others and got really close. We actually had, um, a, a deal on one and, and a year after they made the author, it, it, it fell through. So that was disappointing, but probably a blessing in disguise. Um, I, I just, I love writing picture books. Almost all of my picture books involve cats. I'll just be <laughs> honest about that. Um, it, it's a really special art and it's something you really have to learn. It is deceptively difficult. Um, and I would say that it's much closer to poetry than it is to short story writing. Um, and I, I, you know, I just seem to have had um you know, an innate skill uh, uh, with rhythm and, and writing short stories, you know, short poetic um, things like that. I think I have, um, I have that ear for picture book. It's very, very difficult to sell them because they're expensive to produce because of all the art. Um, so it's, it's always a long shot, but I hope springs eternal that, uh, that we will get one sold and the idea of a parent snuggling up with a child, sharing this intimate moment, reading something that I wrote is just mind boggling to me. Um, I would love, 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 love for that to be a part of my professional life. So we have uh, fingers crossed on that. And meanwhile, I, I have a couple middle grade novels in progress and I just very, very early beginnings of a new YA, um, you know, I write screenplays. So I just, uh, I, I juggle a lot of balls. And the downside of that is that I don't focus on one project completely until it's done and then get it done quickly. I'm, I'm more of a slow meanderer of a writer. That's completely fair. I used to be much the same way. I've really dug in my heels to work on a series right now. So I'm less that way, but I'm also always doing nonfiction stuff. I do nonfiction for my actual day job. And I also do uh, workbooks for authors. So I have some idea of what it's like to be balancing many, many different balls, many projects at once. Um, so why, so we talked a bit about why you're drawn to these stories. Why do you think that it is really important to have disability rep in stories for these age groups in books like Cursed? Well, I think, um, having representation of various underrepresented groups is is just a great thing and i think our the the 
children's book industry um, really started thinking about that and speaking about it and encouraging um, diverse authors about a decade ago. Um, And I think that that maybe the children's book industry is doing a little better than the adult book industry and certainly better than, than um, television and films. Um, But, you know, they're, they're catching up. The, the idea that, um, some kid who is in an underrepresented group, whether it's a racial, you know, ra- racially or culturally or religious or disability or what have you, the the fact that that kid can open up a book and see or read about a character who um, looks like him, worships like him, moves like him uh, or her or they, them, um, I think it, it, it means a lot uh, in terms of, a kid getting comfortable in his or her skin and feeling like uh, she has a place on the planet. Um, for my in my own experience, when I got diagnosed at thirteen, and I'm you know, my accursed is a work of fiction, but it's very much drawn from my experience of getting sick as a as a thirteen year old. Um, I felt so like soul crushingly alone, and I mean the the closest I got to any sort of representation in, in children's books was like Deanie by, by Judy Bloom, which featured a character who had to wear a back brace, very different than what I was going through. Um, and since I was born when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, uh, <laughs> there was no internet. And I actually didn't meet another young person with arthritis until I was 21. So for that entire stretch from 13 to 21, I, I, I just, felt completely alone. I, I just didn't, um, it was misunderstood. You know, I have arthritis. People didn't even know, they hardly know now, but they certainly didn't know back then that children get arthritis too. Um, and I just felt horribly alone. I felt different and I felt uncomfortable taking up place space on the planet. I wanted to hide my illness. I didn't want people to know. Um, and I think if I had a book like Cursed, or even some of the other wonderful books that are out with all the different types of um, disability and neurodiversity and stuff like that, I would have seen, oh, there are all kinds of people in this world um, and I have a place here. So in particular for children's books, I think I think it's really important. Yeah, I, you know, I can only imagine how difficult that is. It's hard enough being 13 <laughs> without an illness. Exactly. Honestly. Yeah, being 13 is just so difficult. And actually, my character was originally 13. Um, and I-, I love the parallels of, you know, your body is changing at 13, and her body's changing in the traditional way that a girl's body changes, but also in this other horrendous way. So I felt that it was a good analogy of, um, you know, that it would be relatable. But the um, my editor, the condition of the author uh, author of, of uh, buying the book was that I age her up to 14, which I was certainly willing to do. And actually doing that brought about some really wonderful things in the narrative and in the in the overall tone and theme of the book. So I'm really grateful that they that they wanted that um, to put it more squarely into YA. Uh, but she was originally 13, which is just the most miserable age. It really is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I am so, so sorry to anyone who is living through that right now. It mm. will at least get somewhat better. 
<laughs> I don't know if you if you've read um, Operating Instructions by Anne Lamott, um, and it's a memoir about her decision to become a, a mother and, and have kids. And she says early on in that that one of her biggest hesitations about bringing a, a child into the world is that he or she will have to endure junior high. You know, being twelve and fifteen. <laughs> and I was like, Amen, sister. I get it. Yeah. Absolutely. I am 100% with her there. <laughs> I honestly, I don't know anyone that enjoyed that time period of their life. And I'm sure there are people out there, but I personally don't know any of them. Yeah. Uh, so I think most of the misfits and artists and, and, uh, oddballs uh and i fall into that group probably didn't have a great time in seventh and eighth grade yeah i will say in uh seventh and eighth grade i did have a phenomenal art teacher he was you know one of those teachers who had been teaching at the same school for like 20 years and he had all of these stories of the history of the school and he would just ramble sometimes during class you know, we would all be drawing and he would be telling us some, you know, story about something really weird that happened at the school like 10 years ago. Mm. Um, that was that was fun. But the rest of it, we, we don't talk about the rest of it. Um. <laughs> I, I had a really, a really interesting geography teacher in seventh grade. His name was Leonard Bratzper. If you're out there, Mr. Bratzfer, um, know that I remember you. He had, I guess, uh, Saturday Night Live was sort of newly on the air, and he made his students make up skits. Um, and the only rule was that it had to have uh, whatever information you were assigned for the country we were studying, whether it was, you know, lakes and mountains or imports and exports. And you could have just this crazy skit and then someone could walk in and say, and by the way, the imports for, you know, Portugal or blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, I hate that. That whole year was just so dark and miserable. But that class, um, I always loved doing that. And then, you know, I became a screenwriter. So go figure. Thank you, Mr. Bradsburg. Yeah, and kudos to anyone who teaches kids that age, man. You have to, oh, like, really? relive it by proxy every day. Doesn't sound like an enviable job. Yes. <laughs> anyway, let, let's uh, reel this back in and get back to the topic at hand. Although I must say, you have a lovely voice. I could quite happily listen to you talk for uh, an extended period of time. My goodness, thank you. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> So back to the topic at hand, how would you like to see disability representation, not just in stories for young people, but in general, change in the next five to 10 years? Yeah, you know, first, I'd like to see more and more and more of it. Um, and I think we're making great progress in those areas. Um, even, even in film and television, with so much streaming services, there's such a need for content um, that there are more opportunities for um, stories by and about uh, disabled people, which is awesome. Um, I would love to see more own voices disability stories. And um, for anyone listening on the podcast that isn't familiar with the term own voices, it's a hashtag that started on Twitter um, years ago. I think it was like 2013, maybe 2015. Um, and it, it just means that the author or the writer is a member of the same underrepresented group as his or her or their main character. So own voices disability would be 
you know, disabled writers writing about disabled characters, like a main character. Now, whether, whether, you know, I, as someone with um, rheumatoid arthritis and, and lots of mobility challenges writing about, like, for example, my middle grade has a main human character, the other character, the other main character is feline, a main human character who's a wheelchair user and was paralyzed in, a, in an accident. You know, whether that's technically own voices because I'm not a wheelchair user and I wasn't, you know, I'm not a paraplegic. Um, that kind of gets into the nitty gritty. I don't really, I don't really, I'm not going to, you know, uh, weigh in on that argument, but I would love to just see more uh, own voices disability um, because some of the disability stories uh, told by non-disabled writers um, tend to be through this able-bodied gaze. And uh, there are certain tropes associated with it that you can just see coming a mile away. And it and it's unfortunate um, that that, you know, there's a certain there's a certain uh, idea that able-bodied people have of what disabled people want. And there's the fantasy of being able-bodied. There's, there's a number of little tropes. And it's just like, oh, here it comes again. Um, that said, there are some authors who, who do amazing research and get beta readers and really, really make sure that they're as authentic as possible. And, and I, I do believe that that is um, possible. Or some people feel very adamantly that, you know, everything should be on voices and you should never write out of your wheelhouse or your experience. Um, I, I'm not going to weigh in on that argument. I will say that I've read a couple books this year or that came out last year by members of my debut group that were had disabled main characters written by authors who were not disabled that felt pretty dang authentic to me and were pretty good books. Um, so I just like more disability stories and more disability stories written by disabled authors would be awesome. Absolutely. Uh, are there any existing stories with really good disability rep that you want to give a shout out to? Tell us more about some of these stories in your debate, your debut group. Yeah, you know, there were a number of, of middle grade books that had characters that would fall under the um, neurodiversity umbrella, uh, like Mina Meets Her Match, which is about a young girl who um, is diagnosed with epilepsy. Um, there just there were a number, and I can't think of them off the top of my head. And I, and I think Carla Mantech is the author of Mina. I, I'm hoping I'm getting her name right. Of course, I should have had that, you know, up and available. But one that one book that I just want to shout out uh, specifically, and I joke with this author that she's, she should get a, um, she's going to have to get a, a internet restraining order uh, against me because I just can't stop talking about her book. And she laughs and says, yeah, that's not a problem for me. Um, there's this YA fantasy called We Rule the Night. Um, and it's written by Claire Bartlett. And I am not a big fantasy reader. I'm more of a contemporary realistic girl. And uh, I read this, I had the arc. I was like, oh, let me, you know, I knew that there was disability reps. So I was like, let me read this. And oh my God, I, I could not put that book down or stop flipping pages on my on my Kindle. It's, um, I sort of describe it as like a steampunk 1984 uh, meets uh um, a war, a war story, and uh, a league of their own. Like, if that makes any sense, if you read the book, it does. And it it has dual protagonists, one of whom is um, a double amputee, and the other is a, a a girl who pretends, you know, hides that she's a girl and is fighting in this endless war. It's very 1984, where there's just this endless war, and you really don't know 
which side is the right side, but they are brought together uh, for the special regimen of all women who are going to learn to um, fly uh, fighter jets and, and be a part of the war effort. And uh, there's like two different kinds of magic. I mean, it's this amazing world building in this book uh, and it's just such a thriller and so riveting, but the disability rep is amazing. Um, this, this uh, character who's a double amputee, um, she really just, she really nails it. She really gets it well. And she gets about um, other people making uh, assumptions about what she can and can't do. And I just really, I recommend that book, not only for the disability rep, but just because it's an amazing book. Um, so it's We Rule the Night by Claire Bartlett. Sounds incredible. And I am a huge fantasy reader. So I will definitely yeah. be checking that out. Thank you. <laughs> yes, definitely. Especially if you're a fantasy reader. So yeah. Yeah. And I would say in fantasy that disability rep is particularly problematic a lot of the time or yeah. particularly non-existent. Um, mm. But we are interviewing you here, not me. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, I did want to. I know that we're we're probably getting to the end of our time. Um, you had originally you had asked me before about what inspired me to write Cursed, and I would love to just address that briefly um, before we run out of time, if that's okay. Absolutely. Well, the, the really short version of it is I had a screenwriting mentor back in the 90s, Holly Goldberg Sloan, who was a writer-director at the time, and now she's a young adult, um, uh, a, a children's book author, great books like Counting by Seven and I'll Be There and um, To Night Owl from Dogfish is her most recent middle grade, really, really great writer. But we were getting to know each other as uh, in her capacity as my screenwriting mentor, and um you know, she asked me about my life and I told her about getting sick and she was like, wow, that that's really fascinating. You ought to write about that. And um, the spoiler alert is I didn't I didn't want to. I, I didn't want to I didn't want to be the disabled writer who writes about disability, which is pretty funny because now I'm like, yeah, I'm the disabled writer who writes about disability. Um, but I also wasn't sure how to do it in an authentic manner, because most of what I had seen at that time was sort of schmaltzy. Uh, after school special, you know, the heroic disabled person that rallies everyone around them. And that, as you can tell from my description of my book, was not who I was. I was this pissed off, angry, self-absorbed, very typical teen who had this incredible thing happen to her. Um, and it didn't, and, and so I sort of kept it percolating on the back burner, uh, trying to to find a way into the story that, that was going to enable me to write it in an authentic manner. And then years later, I was doing a writing exercise in a in a workshop, and and out she came, and there she was, just demanding um, to have her story written. So it took me a long time, and uh, and I just want to say, if if somebody's out there, a writer who really wants to write a story but doesn't know quite how to get into it, how to begin, just let it percolate because um, your your mind will will probably. Uh, lead you there eventually, and and um, and that's that's why I really wanted to to write that book, to write it in an authentic way, um, because I knew there there were angry, pissed off kids like me out there that didn't want to see a hero's journey of how how inspiring uh, this this poor sick kid is and rally the family, and it just wasn't it just wasn't my experience, and I'm sure there are others 
whose experience was similar to mine rather than the the heroic one. So I wanted to just get that in there. Absolutely. That is a really great message. You know, I think there is a huge pressure on us as creatives to produce quickly and constantly. Mm. And it makes a lot of writers rush into stories that they're not ready for. I absolutely did this. Um, my, you know, I started writing a book about an immortal character who had lived for thousands of years when I was like 14, which is not, it, you just don't have the life experience to actually make a perspective like that remotely believable, even if you've lived a lot in 14 years. Yeah. Um, sometimes you just got to let things sit before you can make the story that you're meant to. And I think that's a really important thing for people to know. So thank you for sharing that. And You're more than welcome. We are coming up to our time. So for our final question, where can people find out more about you and about your work? Um, well, I do have a website that that really needs some improvements. It's pretty rudimentary, but it does give you some uh, some info on me and, and uh, my book. Um, it's carolruthsilverstein.com, and Carol's with a K, so it's K-A-R-O-L, ruthsilverstein.com. Um, and my book, you know, is available anywhere you buy your books. Uh, you can go to IndieWire if you want to support a local independent bookstore. You can go to the evil, the evil empire that is that comes with the free two-day shipping if that's uh, if that's what you do. Um, and it is coming out in paperback on uh, October sixth, which is very exciting. Uh, we don't have a we don't have an audiobook um, right now. Maybe we might down the line, but um, but it is going to be available in. Uh, in paperback on t on October 6th and it's available in Kindle and, and regular and um, people can go check it out. Um, I did a lot of interviews uh, in the year leading up to um, the release. And so links to all of those interviews and articles that I wrote are on my website. So if you want to learn more about me, more about, you know, the writing of Cursed and the inspiration and, and other things having to do with the story, by all means, uh, check out my website. Awesome. Sounds great. Thank you so much for joining us. It has been wonderful chatting with you. And I hope that you have a lovely day for the rest of your day. And uh, yeah. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Spoonie Authors Podcast. The Spoonie Authors Podcast is part of the Spoonie Authors Network, a community initiative devoted to sharing the stories of disabled authors and educating abled people about what life is like for disabled creatives. Transcripts of this podcast are also available on the Spoonie Authors Network. To learn more or become a contributor, visit spoonieauthorsnetwork.blog. And of course, if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast streaming platform.